Well, Jesus, we uh, are humbled that Paul could say that Christ is our life. Christ who died for us, Christ who defeated death, Christ who is risen, and Christ who is coming again, and that we are hidden with you. And we pray that as we look at uh, these words, that you would speak to us. Help me as I speak, help us as we listen, hear your word, and not only to hear it, but to obey it. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Uh, there's an old story that is often told um, when preaching through Colossians. I don't think it's been told here yet, so allow me the privilege of, uh, of uh, using it. Uh, there was a, once a curate who was teaching in Sunday school. He'd been made to teach in Sunday school by his vicar. And uh, the Sunday school was very, very sound. Very, very... Uh, always gave the right answer, shall we say. Uh, a curate decided that he was going to loosen them up a little bit. Uh, he thought he'd play a game. So he said, I'm going to think of something. You've got to tell me what it is that I'm thinking of. Okay, children thought that was fine. They could do that. He said, I'm thinking of something furry. It's got bright eyes. It's got a bushy tail. And it collects nuts. Can you guess what it is? Children sort of hummed and looked a little bit puzzled. And, you know, he said, go on, don't be be shy. Come on. And one little boy said, well, well, sir, it, it sounds like a squirrel, but it's a Sunday, so it must be Jesus. <laughs> it's a silly story, but it does help us get a handle a bit on Colossians. And when we're talking about Colossians, the big message of Colossians is that the answer is Jesus. It is always Jesus. Uh, if you've been with us uh, travelling through the book of Colossians, uh, you'll know that uh, St. Paul's big message to them has been that, indeed, the answer is always Jesus. Uh, the Colossian church were beginning, beginning to get a little bit confused about who Jesus uh, is, uh, why he was so important, why he was so significant. Uh, and Paul has been setting out for them this grand picture of Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what he means, over the last uh, couple of chapters. Think back, if you were with us, um, from uh, chapter 1, verse 15. Uh, wonderful uh, image. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, this wonderful, glorious picture of the Lord Jesus. He's been going on to talk about his own labour for the church, how that's been uh, inspired by, uh, by the Lord Jesus, and his aim that everyone should be uh, built up, mature in Christ. And at this point, chapter 3, this is like a hinge in Colossians. It's the bit where Paul really starts to look at what this truth means for their everyday life. It's always true with St. Paul. He, he starts off with doctrine, he unpacks great, glorious truths, But they're never abstract truths. They're always richly applied to uh, everyday life. And this is the point where Paul really starts to unpack for the Colossians and for us uh, the practical implications of some of these wonderful truths for us to uh, consider. Uh, Time is uh, is against us this morning, uh, but I'm just going to focus on uh, two areas uh, this morning where new life in Christ will make a big, big difference to our everyday life. Uh, The first one is that uh, new life will mean new ambitions. New life will mean new ambitions. Look with me, if you've got your Bible open, from uh, verse 1. St. Paul says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Uh, If I were to ask you what occupies your thoughts most in an average week, I wonder what you'd say. 
Perhaps for some of us it might be the children. Uh, children at school, what have they been up to? Have they made friends? Are they falling out with people? Are they, how is that going? Maybe? Could be? Uh, perhaps for some it be the latest work project. Maybe you've got a big thing that's uh, looming, you know, a big deadline, you've just got to get things done uh, in time for that. Perhaps it's uh, Norwich City's fortunes. We've already heard about, a bit about Norwich City. That's obviously occupying some people's minds this morning. Perhaps it's your pension, whether your pension is going to uh, stay stable or not. And they're all good things. No doubt, they're all good things for us to think about. But St. Paul says, if you're a Christian, that is, if you have, uh, you're living a new life through the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, then your thoughts and attentions should be focused on things above. He says, heavenly things, where Christ our Saviour lives and reigns. Verses 1 and 2. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. What does he mean when he says that? Well, some people have taken that as implying that uh, Paul is saying that the Christian should just withdraw from the world and, you know, essentially become a hermit or a monk uh, and have, uh, you know, nothing to do with, uh, with uh, menial earthly things and just spend time contemplating eternity. Well, that might be quite appealing for, for some of us. But the fact that he goes on and... Uh, unpacks the implications in a lot of detail for what this means in everyday life. I I think means that probably isn't uh, what he's advocating. He's not saying, go away and uh, find a quiet hole somewhere in the ground and uh, spend time contemplating eternity. No, he's not talking about complete disengagement. Can't be that. But what I think he is saying is that there, there should be a radical shift in our priorities and our perspective. Uh, you notice in verse 4, he calls, he says, when Christ who is your life, he's the one in whom we find everything. We find freedom from sin and death. We find spiritual fullness and satisfaction in him. He is the one who should be at the centre of everything that we are, everything that we do. Christ should be our life. He is our life. Uh, sometimes we say of people, don't we, that, oh, uh, her work is her life, or music is his life, or Norwich City is his life. And for the Christian, Paul says that it should be able to be said of us that Christ is our life. They said, but say, Martin, for Martin, Christ is his life. For Emily, Christ is her life. For Dave, Christ is her life. It should be that that should be a natural thing to be said of them. That Christ is at the heart of everything they are, everything they do, everything that they want to be. And then when Jesus really is at the centre of our life, the things of less importance will start to fade away and fade into the background. Because everything will be focused on living for the Lord Jesus and serving him. Um, Perhaps uh, some of you might be watching the boat race this afternoon, uh, Oxford against Cambridge. Uh, for those guys who are competing in that race, you can guarantee that for at least for the last year, probably longer, everything has been focused on winning a seat in that boat and on the next 20, 25 minutes or so, that, that, that time will have defined almost everything for their last year. Everything that they eat will have been aimed towards that. Will it contribute to building muscle? Will it help me to be a better competitor? Everything they do, if I, oh, if I go out, if I, if, I, um, if I go to bed at this time, everything will have been controlled by that one aim, to beat the opposing boat. And if, if that is how an athlete should approach an event, how much more should we as Christians? If Christ is our life, then everything surely should be measured against whether it helps, 
that end or not, whether it helps us to know him better, to please him more, to love him more, to serve him more. And I think when that's true, we'll start to realise that some of those things that we think are important aren't quite as important as we once thought they were. Maybe we'll realise that the promotion that we've been hoping for, that thing that we've just been longing for, if only I can get that promotion, then I'll be happy, I'll, I'll be in charge, no one will tell me what to do, I'll have more money, I'll have more status. And we start to realise that actually perhaps it's not as cracked up as it ought to be. Maybe we realise that actually we're quite happy where we are. We wouldn't be as good in that job as we think we are. Uh, maybe we start to realise that that new car that we've been persuading ourselves we need, or the new phone, that we really think, well, I've got to have that, and then my life will be happy. No, when Jesus is our life, when Christ is the centre of everything that we are, our, our priorities, our ambitions, everything that we're living for, everything we're working for, will start to change and, uh, and alter. Well, how can this happen? St Paul's answer for us is that it is because there has been a great change that has happened in the life of the Colossians and in the life of anyone who calls themselves a follower of the Lord Jesus. Their old life is dead, and a new one has sprung to life through being united with the Lord Jesus in his death and resurrection. Throughout uh, chapter 2, Paul has been using the language and the imagery of baptism, this vivid, vivid image of, of dying to our old life and being risen again, rising to new life with him. You'll know that if you've seen a baptism by immersion that we sometimes do here vivid picture of, of the spiritual death that's happened when we become Christians. Old life dies and the new life comes back to, comes to being. And he's used this, 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 this wonderful picture, which is a picture of spiritual death, dying. Uh, when somebody died, the, the Greeks uh, would often say that they were hidden in the earth. That was a sort of phrase that they had, this idea that somebody was hidden in the earth. The, the earth had sort of enclosed them and they were safe and secure in the earth. And St. Paul says in verse 4, sorry, in verse 3, when you died, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Paul is using this wonderful image. He's saying that when we've died spiritually to our old self, uh, we are hidden in Christ. We're, We're sort of enfolded in him. We're safe and secure for him for eternity and are awaiting his return. And so our ambitions for our lives change because our situation has changed. We have new life. We're not the same people that we were before. There's been a radical change. We are hidden with Christ. We're safe, we're secure, and we're in his grasp. He is our life. He's everything to us. We're united with him in his death and resurrection. How easy it is, isn't it, to be distracted and to allow other things to become our life rather than uh, the Lord Jesus. My wife would probably tell you I spend far too much time on uh, cricket websites. Uh, I'm very sorry to say that I ordered the latest wisdom when I got back from France last night. And it's a challenge, isn't it, that these things that are good things can so easily creep into our mentality as being of most importance to us. What would people say of you? What is your life? Is it your work? Family? Spouse? Pension? Norwich City? Cricket? Or is it Christ? St. Paul says, if you're a Christian, it must be Christ. Christ is your life. Paul challenges us to put him at the very centre of our lives. He can't have any rivals. He must be at the centre of our thoughts and ambitions. What needs to change? Is Christ your life? Because new life in Christ must mean new ambitions. 
The second uh, thing that I want to draw out for us uh, this morning is that new life, I think, means new actions. New life means new actions. Verse uh, 5, if you've got it open in front of you. Paul says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Paul has been laying out the gospel consequences for the Christian's thinking. And now he starts to turn to the Christian's behaviour, attitudes, actions. If Christ really is our life, then we are to be ruthless in ridding our lives of anything that hinders us from serving him and pleasing him. Verse 5, put to death, therefore. Um, Verse uh, verse 6, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. We are to get rid of anything that uh, will bring God's displeasure anything that hinders us from serving him. Uh, Perhaps the image is a bit like a surgeon cutting out a a cancerous tumour. If you uh, might have a a tumour that is growing and it's uh, malignant and it's it's getting worse, the surgeon might cut it out to remove it, try and cut every bit out to stop it spreading. And it's just the same idea. It's the idea we should cut out anything, ruthlessly, uh, surgically excise anything that uh, belongs to the old way of life to stop it corrupting us in the new life. Uh, Jesus, you'll remember, I'm sure, spoke of, um, of cutting off hands or plucking out eyes if they caused us to sin. One very vivid language. We need to take sin seriously. And St. Paul's using the same imagery. Cut it out. Have no quarter with it. Don't, don't mess around with it. Get rid of it immediately. Uh, there are lots of things here that we could uh, draw out and mention. I haven't got time to, to deal with all of them. Uh, you'll be pleased to know. Uh, but let me just uh, focus on two in particular that I think um, are, uh, are good for us to think about. The first is uh, sexual, sexual immorality uh, in uh, verse 5. Uh, sexual immorality is not a new issue. The uh, ancient world was, uh, was full of um, sexual immorality. It regarded the sexual appetite as something to be um, gratified and not uh, restrained. It had no shame in promoting deviant behaviour um, at, at all levels of society. Uh, sexual immorality is not a new issue. We think we live in a culture that has... Uh, gone very badly wrong, and it has. But it's nothing new. That's always been the way of humanity. And our culture, indeed, is no different to the culture in which St. Paul was writing in in this regard. Uh, We're surrounded, aren't we, by a world that has lost the biblical picture of sexuality as as a gift reserved for heterosexual, committed marriage between a man and a woman. Uh, It presents sexual expression as just a human right, something that, um, well, if you want to indulge in that, in whatever way that pleases you, go ahead and do it, regardless of what it means for anyone else or, indeed, uh, means before God. Uh, In the past fortnight, we've had statistics released of showing tens of thousands of children accessing hardcore pornography. I don't know whether you caught that in the newspaper. Dreadfully, dreadfully uh, um, disturbing. We've had the first uh, gay weddings last uh, fortnight or so, haven't we? We are in a culture that has lost the biblical picture of sexuality. It is full of sexual immorality. And there is a danger that when we live in the midst of such a culture that we too start to get caught up in it. Um, We might not go to some of those extremes that we might point to, but it's very easy for maybe an inappropriate friendship with a colleague to to emerge. I've I've certainly known of that, that happening 
uh, for people. Perhaps a, you know, a friendship that uh, started off with, a, with a, a lunch that went on a bit longer. They started to think that this person understood them better than their spouse. And the slippery path uh, kept going. And uh, an inappropriate friendship, that lingering conversation, led to a fling. It's a moment's mistake, but a marriage ruined. Perhaps for some of us, there is the issue of pornography. It's a very real issue. Many, many people in our culture, both men and women, struggle with pornography. I'm sure there'll be people here for whom that's a a real issue. Uh, It's so easy, isn't it, when we have a a world of fantasy just a few clicks away to indulge ourselves and uh, to uh, to take advantage of. Uh, And whatever it is for for you, uh, let me encourage you, cut it out. Uh, St. Paul is, is clear. The longer these things remain unchecked, the more damage they do. They grow and they get a hold on people. Sin enslaves. Jesus said that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. They grab you and they draw you in. They promise good things and they will never satisfy. They only do damage. Uh, and let me encourage you, if this is something that's an issue for you, do speak to me or speak to the prayer team afterwards. Don't, don't leave here without having dealt with this. Cut it out. Be serious with it. Don't, uh, don't hang around. Don't leave without having dealt with it. The second one I want to focus on, it is giving Sunday after all, is uh, greed uh, in verse 5 that St. Paul picks up. Uh, the word that he uses here is quite hard to translate. It's not something that is automatically associated with money. It, it does get used in, in various contexts. But it essentially means an insatiable desire to have more of something, really, if you want to try and uh, translate it, a rough translation. An insatiable desire to have more and more and more of something, uh, even if we, we shouldn't really have it. Uh, it is, I suppose, to make the, the object in question our God. No wonder St. Paul says that it's idolatry, that greed, which is idolatry. It is making something our, our God. It's putting up a, another thing in place of where God should be in our lives. Uh, it, it can certainly refer to money, and the Bible constantly warns of the danger of loving money and possessions too much. Uh, you'll remember that Jesus, back in uh, Matthew chapter 6, personified money as mammon, this idea that it was a rival God that uh, would, would lead you to put your trust in it rather than God. It's a dangerous thing. Uh, so a preacher I once heard wisely observed that money is a bit like seawater. Uh, the more you drink of it, the thirstier you get. That's true, isn't it? We all know that. There was that um, uh, was the story with the, uh, was it John Rockefeller who was asked uh, when, when enough money would be enough, one of the richest men in America. And he said, a little bit more. It's true, he was a man who didn't need any more, but he thought he did. Money is like seawater. The more you drink of it, the more you want of it. It never satisfies. Again, we're immersed in a culture that is all about giving, uh, getting, not giving. It should be giving, but it's not. It's all about getting, acquiring. What more can I have so that I feel secure and feel happy? It's, not, it's so easy when we live in, those kind of, in that world, we, when our, our friends' attitudes are all focused on how much we can acquire, to go along with that. To, to, to just think that if, if we just gather more of our money and more possessions, we have a better house, better, better car, better phone, better tablet, whatever it happens to be, better TV. If we just get that next pay rise, if our pensions are secure, then life will be happy. It's not. It's so easy for money and possessions to gain a grip on our hearts uh, and, and to let God get the dregs. The Old Testament used to speak about uh, giving God the first fruits. Uh, and when money is our God... God will get the dregs. We will get the first fruits and we'll keep them for ourselves. Be warned. Jesus said, you cannot serve 
two masters, for either you will hate one and love the other. Money makes a very, very dangerous master. It's a good servant if you can uh, use it to give it away. It's a dreadful master. One of the answers, I guess, to uh, making sure that money isn't our master is to keep giving it away. If we're always seeking to give and be generous to others, whether it's to church or to, uh, to, to uh, Christian things to each other, then it will cease to have that hold on our hearts because it won't be our master. Uh, do make it your servant. Make sure it doesn't have a hold on you. It's so dangerous to, uh, to keep, it, uh, keep it going. There was a Puritan pastor called John Owen who had a phrase, and he said, be killing sin, lest it be killing you. Be killing sin, lest it be killing you. And that's all very well, but perhaps we're asking, well, how? How do we put to death these things that St. Paul speaks to us? Well, the answer all through Colossians has been the same. It is through the Lord Jesus. It's because Jesus has given us new life in his death and resurrection that we are called to pursue God's standards. We have new life. Our life has changed. It's because through Jesus' death that has broken the power of sin in our, on our lives that we can fight it with his help. And it's because of his grace, his death on the cross, that gives us forgiveness that means that when we do mess up, as we constantly will, we can come back to him for a fresh start and uh, a chance to try again. We always kill sin through the gospel. It's not through solely our own efforts. It's not through just working a bit harder. It's through the power of the gospel, through the Lord Jesus' death and resurrection at work in our lives. He gives us the motivation and the means. That's not to say we don't have our parts to play. Of course we do. It's, not, to, uh, it's uh, not that we sit back and do nothing. We need to be serious. We need to get, get practical. Cut off sin's supply lines in our lives. Perhaps if pornography is an issue for you, well, why not go without the internet? Get an accountability partner. Perhaps if money is a, a real, real hold in your heart, try giving away more, giving till it hurts, and see what that does to uh, money in your heart. We must draw close to God through his word and prayer. When we're getting closer to him, when we're satisfied in ourselves with the Lord Jesus, with who he is for us, we'll find that Christ does become our life. He does become the thing that is most important to us. But ultimately, we kill sin through the Lord Jesus. He is the one who, through his death and resurrection, provides us with the motivation. We want to please him. And he's also the means, because we can. He is the one who gives us the power by his spirit at work in us. Well, perhaps you're thinking that neither greed or sexual immorality particularly speaks to you. Well, let me encourage you to cast your uh, eye down the list, and I'm sure you'll find something that uh, strikes home. There's plenty in this list for us to dwell on and to think about. Uh, And it may be that um, this morning, as I've been speaking, there have been things that have just come up. The Spirit's been been at work. Uh, Don't ignore it, him. I I beg you, don't, don't ignore him. Do pray it through at the end of this service uh, and pray that uh, you be given the strength to put to death those things which, uh, which displease God. Give sin no quarter because new life in Christ should mean new actions and new attitudes for us. Let me draw things uh, to a close. Uh, St. Augustine was a famous saint who um, lived many, many years ago uh, and he lived a notoriously wild life before he became a Christian. Um, he was uh, up to all kinds of no good, was a bit of a party animal as you could be back in uh, 300 AD or so. Uh, and then he had a dramatic conversion, and his life was completely transformed. Uh, anyway, the story's told that after his conversion, he was uh, walking through uh, some of his old haunts, and he came across a girl with whom he'd had a fling before. Uh, she was obviously quite keen to uh, keep things going, and she came up to him and said, Augustine, it's me, 
do you remember me? And he apparently said, yes, it is you, but it's not me. He had grasped that when you become a Christian, everything changes. Uh, When Christ is our life, we have a new life. There is a new life. We we die with him. We're raised again. And we're not the same. We're not the same people. We have new ambitions. We have new actions, new attitudes. Uh, And let's pray as we close for all of us that we might be able to say that Christ is our life. uh, And that that would radically transform who we are uh, for his glory and for his sake. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we know that um, there are many things in this passage that we could think about. Uh, none of us can read through this list without uh, feeling some sense in which we have failed you. And yet we thank you that you are our life. When we become uh, followers of you, you grant us new life through your death and your resurrection. And we pray that we would live lives that are worthy of that calling. Help us with your spirit to put to death those things which displease you. And we long to live lives that are worthy of our calling. May we be able to say that Christ is our life. For your sake we pray. Amen.